as the servers collect the offering. A couple things to be uh, aware of and praying for. One is that our high school students are gone. They left for camp this morning at 10.30. And so you can pray for Morgan and Zane and Justin, who are going to be there that week with our young people. And uh, how many of you went to camp and had like a really powerful experience at some youth camp sometime? Raise your hand if you've had that. So you remember having that, and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, it didn't do what I thought it was going to do because you come down from that camp high, and then you become a little bit of a skeptic. Anybody become skeptical of that? And so I've gone through both things. I've been there and loved it and thought it was transforming, and then I kind of thought, wow, it didn't kind of linger as long as I thought it would, and I become a little bit disappointed. And as I, as I uh, begin to even think through that whole process, I love to just see what God uses and how God uses it, and it's, it's probably not everything, but it's also not nothing. And so let's make sure that we are praying for our young people, that they have a very real encounter with Jesus Christ this week, that they hear the truth and respond to the truth. And then let's, as a church, remember that it doesn't end there, uh, but let make sure that we come alongside our young people and continue to share the truth about who Jesus Christ is, and, and that's what matters long-term. Um, another thing that we announced last week that we are now in the middle of is we are in the process of appointing um, some new elders here at the church. And so this morning, you should have received an email um, in your email inbox that basically outlined exactly what the process looks like and it had the names of those elders that we are currently considering. And then beyond that, um, would love for you to share all, any thoughts that you have, not just concerns, sometimes we just focus on the concern aspect, but any thoughts that you have about, uh, about those men, uh, words of affirmation, words of confirmation regarding them. And then next Sunday, uh, we will actually be ordaining them into the leadership position here at the church you know, I, I just think it is so important for us as the body of Christ to recognize that God has called us to be different than the world in this way, that we recognize those who have, and this is such a weird statement to make, but who have authority over us. We live in a day and in a time where to be a, re a rebel is probably the primary way in which to think and to operate, you know. Uh, and it's just not to be our, it's not to be in our makeup. Like we are broken people. And so I know uh, the, the temptation that I have to rebel against authority, but it's really not the ultimate way that God has designed us. And the Bible actually teaches that we submit to those in authority over us. We submit to government authorities. We submit to, uh, to our community leaders. We submit to our elders um, in the church. And that is just something that we are uh, to be doing and therefore to know these men and to love them and to be praying for them is just a, a natural part of the body of Christ. And so I hope that if you have any questions, you can respond uh, to anybody on staff or to those elders listed and your, their contact information is there. And then we will be celebrating uh, their leadership over us next Sunday. If you have your Bibles, we are in Matthew chapter 26 today. Um, continuing on in the saga of the last days of Jesus' life, literally the last day now in Jesus' life. And we are going to be looking at the idea that Jesus has been left alone to endure the most difficult things at the most difficult time in his life, and he has to go through it alone. Alone is something that none of us like. Some of us may think that we're rather tough and rather strong, and we might say, you know, I'm an introvert, I kind of like my own space, and I like my own time, but I do not believe that God ever intended for us to be people that want to be alone. The Bible actually says in the book of Genesis that after he made Adam, he looked at Adam, who at that time was alone, and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. 
And so he made a, a helper for him. And Adam and Eve together become God's plan of marriage and family. And then together, God's picture of community resembling um, himself as a triune God living in perfect unison, three in one. The Trinity, you know this doctrine. But it's not good to be alone. So much so that on June 18th, 2015, a TV show came out that I just fell in love with. My wife and I watch it every summer. And it's called Alone. And this show, produced by the History Channel, decided that it was going to take this reality television and instead of having people go through difficult circumstances with someone filming them right there, I always thought that was weird, right? Someone's filming you, they're right there. You could say, hey, I'm a little hungry, can you hand me something? Um, it, there's something different about having a film crew right there than being alone. And the History Channel knew this. So what they decided to do was they just let the, the people both of America and Canada know that we are going to be having this reality program. And if you think you have it in you to, to do this, to endure hardship and an extreme uh, climate, if you are willing to do that, then we want you to come and we want you to, to be a part of this and to go through this vetting process. And they did. And, and 10 finalists were, were, were told that they had to endure um, on the very top of Vancouver Island. So in British Columbia, Canada is where they're trying to think what, what's the worst place in the world to be. And they picked Canada. And then <laughs> at the very top of Vancouver Island, which this is always awkward for my wife and I, because it's the same location that we chose for our honeymoon. And so we look at each other and we just say, that's a little bit weird that the History Channel actually chose this extreme place. And you and I are like, let's go there for our honeymoon, honey. And so, but on this same island, and they have these people and they love to videotape them and they love to say, okay, how do you think you're going to do? An ex-military man, I know what it's like. I've been dropped off in the jungles of somewhere. I've been in the deserts of Afghanistan. I've been shot at. I've been doing all, I've all these things. I know how to start a fire. I know how to eat a bear. I know how to do absolutely everything. And I, wait, wait till you see what I'm going to do. Wait, wait till you see it. And they, they all film these people and it is bravado. It is just, and it doesn't matter if they're male or female. They are the toughest humans imaginable. And they're talking about how you're going to have to drag me away. There was one guy that is actually talking about, you're going to have to call like 911 for the bears. That's what he literally said. One gentleman gets there, they drop them off, and then they, they, they leave by boat. And you're literally left alone. You have to film yourself. You have to document everything. You are absolutely alone. Now, if you can't take it, then you can push this button and we will come and we will rescue you. And I am fascinated. In season one, um, four people quit within like the first day or so. Four people quit. I think it was season two, one guy gets dropped off. This, this blew my mind. This one guy gets dropped off. They, let you, they literally, they give you like the time, day one, 3.54 in the afternoon. This guy gets dropped off in this little cove in, on Vancouver Island, and they leave, and he, he stops, and he kind of looks around. He's got this camera, and he goes, I'm alone. Doesn't build a shelter, doesn't try to find food. He just sits on a log for three hours and then taps out. He, he, talking tough. When you're back with your, and you're in your home, when you're back like with everybody else, you're all tough. You can, you can do this. But to truly be alone, what's interesting is the number of people that they don't quit because they're hungry. They don't quit because they're cold. You know why they quit? The majority of them? Because they're alone. 
I just can't do this. $500,000 to the winner. And, and by the way, it just so happens that the, this new season, season four, starts this Wednesday, June 15th. Now, I'm looking forward to it. What they're, what they're doing this year, though, I got to tell you this because I learned this this morning. What they're actually doing is they're taking, a, they're taking family members and they're dropping them off in the same area. And then they have to find each other and try to endure it. Because why? They're finding that these people can't do it, what? Alone. They just can't. And time and time and time again, there is this, this powerful urge. I can't, I can't do this alone. I don't want to do this alone. I, I need some kind of help. And yet we're going to be looking at this time in Jesus' life where he endures it all alone. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to begin in verse 30. And take a look at what Jesus is able to accomplish and do alone. Verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is immediately following the Lord's Supper that we talked about last week. They sung a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives, which is outside of the city gates. And so you have the city that sits on the one side of this mountain, um, and then you have this valley, and then on the other side of that valley, you have the Mount of Olives, and then just below the Mount of Olives is something known as the Garden of Gethsemane, which is an olive orchard. And they leave the city, and they go up onto the Mount of Olives, and this is where things begin to, from the disciples' perspective, unravel, but from Jesus' perspective, work in complete accordance with God's plan. That's a good reminder. What looks like to the disciples as unraveling is actually working completely in unison with God's ultimate plan. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me. Can you just stop and just get, take that in for a second? You will all fall away because of me. So often when we want to think about Jesus or talk about Jesus in church, we, we think about Jesus and all that he has done for us, and then we love to talk about how he brings us together and he unites us, but that's not true for everybody. There's been a lot of people throughout history that have had to experience actually being alone because of him. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the one who doesn't just bring people together, but the truth about him can actually cost us. The truth about who Jesus Christ is can be difficult to stomach and difficult to bear. And the truth about Jesus is just the truth about him. And I love how Jesus points this out. You're going to fall away, and not because you're weak, and not because you're pathetic, and not because you don't care, not because you're not strong enough, but Jesus literally says, because of me. The ultimate truth about who I am and how I stand in a world that does not want God, that doesn't want any part of God. And, and this is a major theme that we actually see in Jesus' ministry and even in the Bible, that the way of God stands opposed to the way of this world. Jesus says, because of me, all of you will fall away. For it is written, now he's going to quote Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter answered him, because Peter's going to speak up. Before, Please do not throw Peter under the bus on this one. Because you're going to see how this section ends. He is not the only one. Jesus repeatedly has said, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. 
And then I'm going to be raised again and we're going to come together. And they didn't understand any of it. And yet Peter says to him, though all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, literally meaning like before the, before the sun comes up, like you're talking tough now while we're all still here, while I'm still with you, while things are still quiet and we just sang a song together. And we're sitting here in this beautiful garden overlooking the city. While, while all of this is going on, you can say one thing, Peter, but before the rooster crows, you will deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. In the same way that at the Lord's Supper, when each of the disciples said, when Jesus promised that there would be a betrayer, is it me, is it me, is it me, is it me? And they all said this, they all swear to Jesus, I will not be the one to deny you. I will stand with you to the very end. That's why you don't want to throw Peter under the bus. And yet Jesus at this moment, there on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the city, is now going to step down into this olive orchard and talk to God, commune with him. And what we're going to see is that Jesus is going to be left alone and in many ways because Jesus is truly alone. Verse 36, Jesus praying alone here in the garden. When Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. What cup is he talking about? Well, it's easy for us, especially after just having communion a few moments ago, to think about this cup that Jesus just recently had at the Lord's Supper. Take this cup and drink of it, each of you, for this cup represents the pouring out of my blood. It is a new covenant that I give to you. It is, it is my blood that will redeem you, and that is the third cup within the Passover meal. Is that the cup Jesus is talking about? A lot of us go into that direction. Maybe he just means generically, you know, cup, like a, like a rough time, like a hard time. But when you go back and you look at Jesus' understanding of cup in its Old Testament roots, there is something that is known as a cup of God, a cup of God's wrath, a cup of God's wrath being poured out on those that are, um, those are worthy of judgment. Jesus Christ is in the garden, and what I usually do is I just, I think to myself, man, it just must be so hard to know you're about to die. And it must be so hard to know, like, think, think about this, Jesus knows he's going to be crucified. Jesus knows that it's going to involve nails being put in his hands and in his feet. He knows all of these things that are about to happen to him, and that's got to be hard, right? Can you imagine knowing you're about to die? But Jesus isn't asking for, I don't want to die. Please don't let me die. I don't want to die. It's really interesting. He says, I, I, don't, want, I don't want this cup. 
in Revelation. It's a great book of Revelation, chapters 15 and 16. It is the pouring out of the cups. The seven cups or bowls, it's the same Hebrew or Greek word. And it is the cup of God's wrath being poured out on those that deserve this punishment. And sure, the crucifixion of Jesus is ugly and painful and difficult. But I'm telling you, I genuinely believe that Jesus didn't die the most difficult or painful death in human history. Now, we've invented some pretty atrocious ways to torture one another. But the one thing that Jesus alone can do is to receive the full punishment of God in terms of his wrath. So you and I can just sit back and, and wonder. We can wonder what it's like to, to, to actually be prepared to die. It's another thing that you and I just have to marvel at that Jesus, the image of God, the perfect image of God, who did not know sin, who did not know rebellion. He doesn't have a rebellious bone in his body. He doesn't have a rebellious past. He doesn't have a history of guilt or shame. He's only been, he's only been the perfect son. And now Jesus alone will bear the full weight of God's wrath being poured out upon him. And you and I sing the song. Jesus paid it all. And we don't stop and reflect on, like, what does that mean? And Jesus paying it all means that God's wrath was rightly poured out on him. Paul says it, it's one of my favorite statements in the Bible, that he did not, he who did not know sin, Jesus, who did not know sin, became sin. So that you and I could become the righteousness of God. And Jesus, at that moment, is saying, God, take this cup from me. But then he continues on because his whole prayer is not take this cup from me. It's a, it's a deeper prayer as you're going to see. It's a much more, uh, it's, it's a prayer that Jesus prays that is the model of his entire life. The fact that he left heaven was not that he wanted to leave, but he wanted to be obedient to the plan of the Father. The fact that Jesus Christ endured a life with all of its limitations it was not that he just wanted to do that, but he desired more than anything else to be obedient to God's plan. And so Jesus prays the same thing. Take this cup from me. This is the part that I just, I do not want. Jesus being honest, I do not want this. Nevertheless, he has a greater want. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And after he has done that prayer, in verse 40, and he came to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. They promised they wouldn't deny him. They promised they would stay with him to the very end, and they can't even stay awake. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me just one hour? Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation, for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And, and by the way, the sermon today is not about Peter's failure. It's not about these disciples that failed Jesus. I, I've preached that sermon from this text. Um, not today. 
But Jesus points out, you couldn't do it, could you, Peter? Okay, watch and stay awake so that when the moment of temptation comes, you will not fail. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, and again for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came back and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. They have no idea what's happening. They're, they're not getting a sense of the urgency of the situation. Even though Jesus had promised it's going down, even though Judas has already left and is kind of coming up with his own plan to betray Jesus, they are completely unaware, and God is moving still. While they sleep, God continues to bring about his plan and purpose. So leaving them, yet once again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to his disciples and he said to them, sleep and take your rest later. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And Jesus, after praying for God's will to be done, is now ready to embrace the final stages of God's plan. Now, when we talk about the trial of Jesus, and more of this is gonna be preached next week, sometimes we only think about Jesus before the leaders, but I believe the trial of Jesus begins there in the garden as he begins to make his groans and his confessions before God, and he submits his heart and his life and his will to God's plan as his disciples begin to leave him begin to abandon him, and Jesus more and more is alone. And when I say that, please, don't just try to, to, to gather up within you sympathy for Jesus. This isn't just something we are to be empathetic about. Actually, the, the recording of this gospel is designed to do so much more than to just make us feel sorry that even in this moment, really, Jesus had to do this all by himself? I just feel so bad for him. I like how Rebecca said it this morning. There are some things that Jesus is going to have to do alone. When I look at the Bible, I often wonder what I would do if I was in those circumstances. You ever do that? There I am in the garden with my wife Eve. And she comes to me, because, you know, she's going to fail. And she comes to me with the fruit, and she says, I just ate it. Do you want some? I would never eat it. And then I go to other instances, and I realize, wow, that, that's true. There are some times, man, I don't know if I could build a boat, and if I did, I'm sure it would sink. Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, who you love, and I want you to go up on this mount, Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could do that. And all through the Bible, all of these instances of great men and great women doing great things for God, doing great things with God, and I put myself in those circumstances. Anybody else do this? And I wonder if I could do it. I wonder if I could do it. And sometimes I can be guilty of treating this like one more of those. Like I wonder if I could do it. I wonder if I could, wonder if I could be strong and overcome the temptation to deny Jesus. And then I put myself in Jesus's circumstances, and I wonder, man, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could do that. But this actually is one of those places, that's not what Matthew is doing. He is not inviting you in to participate in this amazing act of Jesus' final trial, of Jesus' final moments, and to try to relive it and to wonder what you would do. 
No, Matthew's plan, God's ultimate purpose is so much more than that. And Jesus is about to endure this trial alone because he alone is the one that God has called, that God has appointed. He is the one alone who is able to accomplish God's plan and God's purposes in these circumstances. I think sometimes it's easier for me to look at those people and think sometimes I could do it and sometimes I couldn't do it than it is for me to look and just go, all I can do at this moment looking at Jesus Christ is marvel at what he has done. To stand back and to wonder in amazement, to genuinely worship as a response to the fact that Jesus paid it all, therefore all to him I owe. I mean, there's no part for me to play in that. My life becomes nothing but a response to what Jesus accomplishes alone. Verse 47, there they are in the dark. Imagine, in the dark. And it's good for you to remember this. In a day and an age when we just know, if I, if I were to mention somebody, um, some famous person, you could close your eyes and you would know what they look like. They didn't have uh, CNN or Facebook. They they didn't have this this visual recognition that we would have. And so you're going to see that, especially in the dark under torchlight, especially in the fact that maybe some of these guards have never really seen Jesus up close, they're going to need an insider, and his name is Judas. Verse 47, and while he was still speaking, arise, for the betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, One of the 12, which by the way, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, point that out every time. I know we want to separate ourselves from Judas. Judas, one of the 12. One of the ones closest to him. And I I just, I, I I think often about the number of times in which the disciples are doing things, producing miracles, or, or healing the sick, uh, preaching the gospel, and it's not like Judas is over in the corner, I don't want to preach about Jesus. You don't have times where Jesus sent them out two by two. You know, Judas and Bartholomew go off and Bartholomew comes back and goes, guys, I just gotta tell you, Judas can't do anything. No, Judas is accomplishing, as far as we know, all the same things that the others are accomplishing. And he is the betrayer. Judas, who was one of the 12, you can't deny it, you can't escape it, he is one of the 12 with a great crowd, comes with him with swords and clubs and from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. And then Jesus said to him, I love this word, friend. Judas, one of the twelve, who is with Jesus, betrays him with a kiss. And Jesus says to him, friend, do you do what you came to do? And then they came up and they laid hands on Jesus. And you need to know that phrase, laid hands. Let me give you a few other ones. They laid hands on Stephen when they put him to death. Same word. They laid hands on the apostle Paul when they took him outside of the city to beat him and to leave him for dead. To lay hands is not, come here, young man. Ow, you're hurting me. Don't pinch. No, no, no. To lay hands is to physically assault. They lay hands on him. 
And interestingly, it just goes more difficult from there. And Jesus, and they seize Jesus. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus, we know this is Peter, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Peter, the sword isn't what's going to win this. See, it's in these moments when we pray, God, take this from me, and then we try to pray, let your will be done. So much of what we want to accomplish for God in our own lives or in the world around us is done, done in human effort, in human power. That's why so much of our life is spent, you and I, just garnering up enough sympathy or enough empathy or enough determination so that you and I, by our own strength, that we can just do this, you know? If we just all put our heads together, if we just all rally around one another, if we all just become one, what can stop us? Lots of things. Lots of things can stop us. Most of that is just cliche. You know that, right? Most of that honestly just sounds like a couple of people in front of their cam- front of a camera somewhere in Minnesota with their family saying, "It doesn't matter where you drop me off, I can withstand being alone." But when push comes to shove, and Jesus says, like, "Peter, what you're doing is just not how the kingdom works." It's good for us to remember that. And if the kingdom doesn't work like that, then your own spiritual walk doesn't work like that. If that doesn't work for us, then it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for you. It is not by our own strength. It is not by our own power. It is not by our greatest um, intent. But I really meant to. I'm sure you did. I really do. I mean that. I'm sure you did but I bet you're going to sound a lot more like Peter. Even if everyone denies you, I never will. And all the rest said the same thing. It's not how it works, Jesus says. It's not what you guys do. Look at what he says in verse 53. To just show, um, this is one of my favorite. There's a couple of instances here in Matthew's gospel and then in John's gospel where Jesus has some great conversations. And it's not in the Matthew account where Jesus looks at Pilate and Pilate looks at Jesus and Pilate says, Jesus, do you not know that I have the power to free you? And Jesus looks back at him and just says, you have no power except that which is given to you by my Father in heaven. Here's how he says it in verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and that he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? Which points out, he didn't ask for that in the garden, did he? He didn't ask God. God, send 12 legions of angels. God, send something to relieve me of this. He didn't pray that, did he? He prayed, your will be done. And now he is speaking to his disciples, and I think this is what's going to cause them to scatter, is Jesus could get help, but he decides for the glory of his Father and for our own redemption and restoration to endure this alone. Look at verse 54. 
But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Meaning the Bible calls this into being. God's word speaks this to happen. Therefore, it's going to happen. And then at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching. He is exposing what they are doing, by the way, is even illegal with Jewish, uh, with, with Jewish um, customs in terms of their own trials to do this at night. He says, listen, I've been in the courts all the time and you did nothing. But at verse 56, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And all the disciples left him alone and fled. And that's where it's good for you and I to look at this text and say, so what are we supposed to do? So, so what happens? Jesus goes through all of this alone. So what happens? One of the greatest gifts that this, this, this gospel has given me uh, after, after teaching it for so many months and reflecting on it for so many months is this. There is something broken within me to always want to find what I'm supposed to do. Maybe it keeps me busy, and it keeps me um, from dealing with the fact there are certain things that only Jesus Christ can do alone. That's hard. It's really, really hard for me to sit here and, and to not think that I can't, you know, help them out a little bit, or do, I should do something, right? We just can't stand back and do nothing, right? We have to do something, and so I fill my preaching with, well, you know what you should do, and you know what you need to do? We got a mission trip that's going to be going to Poland a little while. You need to go. We're going to be going to Mexico in October. Who wants to go? We're going to be giving to Japan. Who wants to do that? We have an opportunity for you to join a life group and to be living in community with one another. You really need to get involved in that. You know what? We've got Bible studies that are going to be going on this entire summer and you need to be involved in this Bible study, it is so easy for me to do those things and to encourage you to do those things. And there's absolutely nothing wrong or improper about any of that. But texts like this show me how incomplete it is. See, every other world religion just kind of ends there. You know what you guys need to do? Take a look at our broken world. You need to get involved. Take a look at our broken marriages. You need to actually be more committed. Take a look at our broken families. You know what you need to do? The gospel, the good news of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ, says, look at what God has done for us alone. In Matthew chapter 4, I learned that Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, in the desert, 40 days and 40 nights, he's tempted. And for too long, I preached that if we follow his example and we do what he did, then maybe we can overcome temptation. That is not the purpose of that text. The purpose of that text is to point out that here on the cross, the one who died never gave in to temptation. You will. I will. He didn't. Jesus stands on a, a mountainside and he feeds the multitudes. He turns to the disciples and he says, you feed them. They say, we can't. And Jesus says, you're right. You can't. But I can. 
purpose of that text is not for you and I to learn how to share our food with those who are hungry. The purpose of that text is for you and I to sit down on that hillside and eat. That's so hard to do, though. It's so hard for me to just take in who God is and who Jesus Christ is. And so you and I fill ourselves with the busyness of our lives. We fill ourselves even, and hear me, I'm the one saying this. We can fill ourselves with go, gather, and grow and miss the one to whom all of that centers around. Do you know that? By the way, that's never excuse to not. But for those of us who are, Do you understand? It is completely incomplete without Jesus. I don't need to hear how you wouldn't have betrayed him. Doesn't matter. I don't need to hear how you would have stayed up. Doesn't matter. You know, it hurts sometimes to think that the woman I love, that I stood before others and I vowed that I would love and honor and cherish that I would care more for her than about myself, I have failed in those vows. And I know you won't believe this, but she has failed too. And I know what it's like to hold a little baby in my arms, absolutely overwhelmed with the responsibility and the joy of this new life that has been entrusted to me, and I know what it's like to fail them. I just, I know so well what it's like to deny and to fail and to flee and to walk away. I know exactly what it's like. And I've tried to make myself feel better by recommitting and pursuing again. And what I am learning is that what Jesus wants me to do, first and foremost, is to look at what he alone, Jesus alone, has accomplished. The Hebrew writer says this, and I want to conclude here. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He's writing to a group of Christians, a group of Jewish Christians who are facing extreme adversity. And they're wanting to quit. And they're wanting to give up. And they just can't do it anymore. They are pushed to their breaking point. You been there? You're in a relationship where you just can't continue? Are you under the circumstances of life and there is like, there is no light at the end of a tunnel? And if there is, just like in the great song, it's a train coming. Where do you look? Where do you turn? And the answer is Jesus. Not to try to find some tips or techniques but to find rest and peace. Not so that you can trick your way out or find the way out of the problems that are going through your life. This is what I get a lot. Okay, so Jim, you're telling me if I do this, if I look at Jesus, then it'll all go away? I have no idea what it's gonna do. I I know that, that, that Jesus, his whole plan led him to a cross. And that was God's plan and that was God's purpose. I just know that in him, there is enough. Do you believe that? By looking at him, there is enough. The Hebrew writer says this, chapter 12, verse 1. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that cloud of witnesses are people who trusted God to the very end, no matter what the circumstances. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we run this race? By our own strength, by the best of our intentions, with great tips and techniques, with my mom beside me holding my hand and cheering me on. (laughs) I remember the day I realized that my mom couldn't fix everything. I remember the day where my dad couldn't fix this problem. And it was one of the most scary moments of my life. And then it became one of the most purposeful moments of my life because I realized that what no one can do, God had already done through Jesus Christ. Look at verse two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter, literally that word there means to bring to perfection, the completer, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and then was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Now, I've often thought, you know, as an example. No, 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 no. Not as an example. As a reward. It's not try to be like Jesus in your circumstances. It's be like Jesus in those circumstances because he has won the victory for you. Do you get the difference? It's not in the midst of that situation where I just cannot forgiving and, well, I'm going to try to forgive like Jesus now. No, Jesus Christ is the author, the founder, the completer, the perfecter of my faith. Therefore, by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in me, I can forgive when I consider what he has done for me. That's the difference then I can forgive. Then I can go on. Then I can find hope. And so often, tell me if this hasn't failed you, I'm going to try to run away from temptation like, 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 like Joseph did, or I'm going to try to use scripture like Jesus did, and those things only work to the degree to which you have self-control power. Anybody else struggle with that besides me? You know the one thing that has just never failed me in my life? the one thing that has never failed me, it is Jesus alone. And when I consider him, not as an example, but as the one who just makes everything right. So you're telling me it'll go away, the pain will go away? I I don't know that. I, I sat in a prayer group one time And they believed with all of their heart and with all of their mind and with all of their soul that if you're just a good Christian, that no adversity will hit you. And I know, chances are you're just gonna go, that just sounds crazy. They believed it. And they believed it so much, I began to wonder if I was the crazy one. They just kept saying over and over and over again, well, God is our father and and you're a father, aren't you? And I am a father. Would you ever put bad things on your children if they were good? Would you ever punish your children if they were good? Would you ever? And they kept using that as an example. Like, I'm the example. I'm the father. And I I had to admit, I would never put my kids through adversity. I wouldn't. I have a hard time. I mean, they might not believe this. But as a parent, you know what what it's like when you get really, really frustrated because you have to punish them and it's their fault and you're the one that feels bad and now you're mad about that? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? 
It is so frustrating, and I know what it's apparent, like in moments like that, to just want to go easy on them. And I just kept using that as an example. What if you were a parent? Would you do this? What if you were God? Would you do this? And I have to admit, even though I'd studied a lot, and even though I'd been preaching a lot, and even though I knew a lot, it just sounded kind of smart. Yeah, you're right. I would never allow any of my children to go through any of those difficulties. And as I'm standing there one time, this, or that, that evening, this, this, this young man walks up to me, and he, yeah, I think he th- thinks that I'm thinking, and he says, so what do you say about all that? And I looked at him, I said, the one thing I just, I can't get my head beyond is if I was God and Jesus was my son, I would never send him to the cross. Would you? The one thing that's just the deal breaker on all of this and makes sense of all of this is that Jesus Christ, the son of God, was sent to die on a cross. I asked the young man, would you do that to your children? And he said, no. I said, then obviously God's plan is so much bigger. So this morning, I'm not asking you to try harder. I'm not asking you to change your intention. I'm asking you to consider Jesus and what he accomplished for you, what he did for you. And the Holy Spirit, if you have trusted your life with Jesus Christ, if you have decided that your sin is too big to bear and you've given it to him to celebrate that, if you've not, to consider giving your life to Jesus Christ alone. I'm going to pray, but before I do, I'm going to ask those who are elders in the room to step up and to come down and to be ready to to be praying for those of you that may want prayer, that are struggling with relationships, that are pushing you to the brink, that are taking you to a difficult place, and as well, some of our Stephen ministers that love to come down here and be ready. We would love to pray with you and to talk with you about what Jesus Christ can do for you alone. Let's pray. So God, I thank you for this time that you've given us and thank you for Jesus. Forgive me, Father, for those times where he became one more example, like the great men and women of faith, whether that be Abraham or uh, or Moses or Elijah or David or Deborah. God, there is something that is exponentially greater when we think about Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would do more than just have sympathy that he had to endure this difficult time alone. May we we respond with a life devoted and dedicated to you. All glory to you alone for celebrating what Jesus did alone. It's in his name we humbly pray, amen. Love you guys. Let us know how we can love and pray for you as well. We will see you next Sunday.